Isn't it a frustrating thing for you and I to be told we ought to be about the business of sharing the greatest story ever told and yet not be instructed about how to do it? When you tell someone to do something but don't give them training in how to do that thing, it just leads to frustration. And so one of our wonderful staff, Wes Holloman, has discerned maybe we ought not take for granted uh, that our members here in the church feel comfortable sharing the greatest story ever told. And as a result, in September, as a church, church-wide, in our iConnect Bible studies and in our worship services on Sunday, we're going to put an emphasis on helping each other to share the greatest story ever told, to overcome our fears, to find out how to enter into conversation with unchurched people, to win the opportunity to tell them about the Savior. A very disturbing study has indicated that a majority of unchurched people are filled with dismay and concern over the fact that their Christian neighbors and co-workers don't talk to them about spiritual things. And so you can see our fears are really unfounded. We're afraid to tell them and we're wondering, they're wondering why we don't tell them. And so uh, be on board in September in Bible study and worship services and uh, Wes is going to provide for us through our education system here at the church a means of a method by which each of us can learn, young and old, how to share the greatest story, the gospel, with people who have yet to accept the Lord Jesus Christ. So that will begin, uh, Lord willing, September 9th, I think is when we start it. Not this Sunday, but the next. And then also, let me invite you on behalf of our missions team and ministers to our second missions coffee house immediately after the service in the singles building where you'll hear testimonies from those who have returned from telling the greatest story ever told in four different places brownsville texas i think most recently china uh, the philippines and ethiopia and so it'll be in the singles building and all are invited and there you can get a taste of what their experiences on the field have been. Well, our experience over the last several Wednesdays has been to explore the foundations of our faith. And we began, oh, I don't know, four weeks ago to talk about us. What are our foundational beliefs about us as humans? And we spoke about the fact that we had a beginning and we have a purpose and Tonight, with your permission, I would like to entertain the question, now that we've answered the questions of uh, our origin and our purpose, let's see if we can wrestle with the question of our destiny tonight. And so, tonight, I would like for us to think about this question, where are we going? It's a legitimate question, you know, because nobody here is standing still. We're not sitting still. We're not standing still. Nobody is static. Everyone is moving towards an end goal, a destination. And you and I may not want to face it, uh, but we are. We're in process, and we're moving towards a destiny, and it's one that cannot be denied. It is this one. And I try not to be harsh about this, but I'm afraid it's a reality we simply can't ignore. Uh, our destiny is to die. 
And I'm afraid we just ought to talk about it because it's commonplace, you know. And it's something we all are going to experience. We have an appointment with death, and we're moving towards that end. Do you mind me taking this opportunity to tell you that two of our most dear members and staff are having, even as we meet here now, to say goodbye to their dear fathers. Bill Cole's father passed away, and just a little while ago, so too did Buddy Griffin's father. And so, um, I don't take this lightly, and I know you don't. Um, it comes close to us, doesn't it? Uh, the departure of a loved one. And it's really something we really have to acknowledge and face. We're all going to go this way. Now, I know what some are thinking. Uh, not true, Stuart. What about if the Lord returned in our day? What about the rapture? And you're so right. Uh, the rapture is the exception to the rule. And it's very possible, I, I, I'm with you, uh, that it could happen in our day and that we could be in a moment, uh, those of us who know the giver of eternal life, uh, translated and not taste physical death. I know that. A and Lord willing, one day we'll fill in a rock over here called... Um, future things, and we'll discuss the rapture and all of that. But if you would allow me tonight to set aside that exception, marvelous exception to the rule, uh, the rule, the standard, is that all of us are going to die. So let's set aside the rapture uh, just for tonight, if you don't mind, and accept this norm. All those who have a beginning will have an ending. Can you, can you accept that? It's just logic. All who had an art, the only one who didn't is God. He has no beginning, nor has he an end. But all creaturely beings, us, who owe our existence to him, we have a beginning and we have an ending. And almost nobody, except really far out philosophers, I mean, out somewhere, almost nobody denies this reality and argues with it. Uh, death is expected. Uh, death is inevitable, and uh, death is unavoidable. And interestingly, the first one to apprise us of the reality of death, to tell us about it, is none other than the giver of life himself. He instructed the first ones of us. And you remember their names. The guy's name was, yeah, and his wife's name was, yeah. And so the giver of life instructed Adam and Eve about death death. And he said to them very clearly, make no mistake about it, he said the consequence of your sin is your death. That's what the giver of life said. It's very clear. I'm not making this up. Genesis chapter 2 verses 16 and 17. You'll see it on the screen if you'd like. And the Lord God commanded the man, that's the one you identified, Adam, saying from any tree of the garden you can eat freely. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day, the day you eat from it, you shall surely die. So the giver of life was not confusing about this at all. He informed the first ones of us about the consequence of sin, and he said it will lead to death. That's what God said. But you know what Satan said? Satan, in so many words, said, don't you believe it? He buddied up to Adam and Eve, Eve first, and said to her, don't believe it. In essence, he said, God is lying to you, but I am telling you the truth. And so 
In essence, Satan said, don't believe God. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 4, he, Satan, said, you surely shall not die. See, chapter 3 comes after chapter 2. Chapter 2, God said, you'll die if you sin. Chapter 3, as a reaction to what God said, Satan said, not true. Don't you believe him? So God said one thing, Satan said another. Who's telling the truth? Well, I'll tell you who's telling the truth. If you skip now, you go from chapter 2, chapter 3. If you go to Genesis chapter 5, you see a kind of a a standard way that generations are presented to us. Those who came after first Adam, the first one of us. And so in Genesis chapter 5, you see this haunting repeated phrase again and again, and he died. And so it'll say Adam lived, had kids, and he died. Then you can consult this text on your own when you get a chance, Genesis 5. Then it'll say, Seth lived, had kids, and he died. Enosh lived, had kids, and he died. Canaan lived, had kids, and he died. Mahalalel lived, had kids, and he died. On and on. I'm not trying to bore you, but I'm telling you, because God emphasized it so much, he's making the point. Look. Chapter 2, he says to the first one of us, the consequence of sin is that you'll die. Chapter 3, Satan said, don't you believe God? You're not going to die. Chapter 5, God proves Satan is a liar, but God spoke the truth. And folks, if Genesis 5 right now is escaping you just a little bit, I have to tell you, anytime you attend a funeral or drive by a cemetery, you ought to take note of the fact that Satan is a liar. And God told the truth. I try to get this out of every funeral. You want to get something out of this significant passage from life here into another reality. One of the things to get at it is that it's visible proof again and again and again. If you're looking who to believe, believe the Savior. Don't believe Satan. Next week, Lord willing, uh, we'll start a new topic. We'll talk about angels, one of whom is Satan. And so we'll eventually get to Satan. We'll talk in much more detail about what he's made of and all the rest. But you know the Bible identifies him as the father of lies. And so he lied about our ultimate destiny. What God said was true. What Satan said was a lie. Adam and Eve sinned. Adam and Eve died. Just as God said. And now this happens to every single one of us. We have sinned. We all die. So, folks, that's where we're going. That's how we are leaving this existence. We're all going to die. We don't like to talk about it. I surely don't. I know you don't. But it's true. You and I have an appointment with death. We're not going to miss it. That's where we're going. But is that it? Is death it? Does it have the final word? Is death our final destination? Did you know that Eastern and New Age religions say no? Death is not the final word. It's not the final destination. Uh, New Age religions, Eastern religions, say that uh, we go through a kind of an endless cycle of, well, reincarnations. Do you know it's just a surprise to me? I'm shocked. There's a resurgence of interest in reincarnation, even amongst church people. Are we so bored with the Bible? Reincarnation, you see. Animistic and tribal religions also teach that there's something after death. But they say that not reincarnation. The soul kind of remains on earth or travels 
to join other departed spirits of ancestors in what some refer to as the realm of the shadows. And so there's, there's just all kinds of speculation, isn't there, about what happens to us when we die. No one could dis- dispute we die, but now there's a lot of guesswork about happens, what happens after we die. Lots of guesswork. In fact, there was a guy named Samuel Beckett who said, what do I know of man's destiny? I could tell you more about radishes. That's what he said. Well, I feel bad about the guy. I don't know much about radishes. I know a lot more about our human destiny. So can you, and I'll tell you how. Consult the first foundational bedrock of what we believe, the Bible. Do you remember a thousand years ago when we started this series? We started with the Bible. It's the foundation stone. And we made the case for the reliability of the Bible. If it's reliable, then you consult it about matters of life and death. You don't speculate about your beginnings. You weren't even there when you began. So you go to the giver of life. And you don't speculate about your ending. You go to the God who has no ending. And you consult him. So the Bible tells us we don't have to guess and speculate about our eternal destiny. We can know exactly what's going to happen to us when we die. And so Here, in fact, is what God tells us is going to happen. I just have two verses of Scripture for the rest of our time, and I'll go through this as quickly as I could. And you could look on the screen. We're going to take it apart phrase by phrase, but if you're more comfortable uh, uh, consulting your Bible, we're in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 27 and 28. And so let's begin with Hebrews 9, 27, uh, the first phrase. And inasmuch as it is questionable, no, probable, no, likely, no, (laughs) appointed for men to die once. And so uh, make no mistake about it. We're going to meet up with our personal, physical, bodily death. Boy, I wish I could cheer you up. A little bit, but this isn't exactly what a message I wanted to bring. But I mean, it says that there, doesn't it? In other words, there is no second chance. There is no cycle and recycle of births and deaths for the individual. There is no reincarnation. People exit this life by death, but they cannot re-enter this life by reincarnation because death is a one-way street. It is appointed for men to die. How many times? Oh, no. Once. That's what it says. So then what after that happens? I mean, is, is that it? Some say, yeah, that's it. Some say at death we simply cease to exist. You know, I mean, lights out. That's all she wrote. That's what they say. But the Bible says something entirely different. Uh, Take a look now at a little more of Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once. Now look. And after, already we know, death is not the final thing because there's an after. And after this, the this is referring to death. And after death comes something else. There it is. Don't have to guess about it. I didn't make it up. Right there. Judgment. So the Bible says death is not the final event in our lives. It says death only ends our physical lives. But there's more to us than that. 
We have an immaterial part. Our material part is our bodies. They die. But we have a, an immaterial part. We have spirit. We have soul. They are of eternal nature. They live on and they go on to judgment. So the Bible says that even surer than death and taxes is death and judgment. Where are you going to run? Where are you going to hide? I'm telling you, you've got an appointment with both. So do I. So what are we going to be judged for? Well, the last time we got together, we spoke about our number one problem, sin. The first us's, Adam and Eve, blew it big time. Because of that, we inherited that nature and even confirm it by our own personal sin. God has to judge it. Why does he have to judge it? Because he has to remain true to himself. You and I don't. We don't have as much integrity as God. We operate inconsistently. One day we do one thing, another day we do another. We say one thing, we do another. Our walk doesn't match our talk. You know this stuff. But God is, is always, always consistently the same. The sum total of all of his attributes and characteristics work together with such integrity there's no inconsistency. And one of his attributes is that he's holy. A holy God can't look away from sin and still remain true to himself. So as he was uh, compelled by his own nature to judge Adam and Eve's sin, he's compelled by his own holy nature to judge our sin as well. And, and so that's what the Bible says is going to happen after we die. The judgment of a holy God has to be faced by those of us who have sinned against him. So the, Bible, the Bible's answer to the question, uh, where are we going, is this. We are going to die, and then we are going to be judged. That's what it says. This is everybody's destiny. It's where I'm going, and, and it's where you are going. Now, if you hold to a naturalistic explanation of your beginnings, you just evolved. There was no supernatural involvement. You're just like a random thing popping out of the cosmos somewhere. If you had a random naturalistic beginning, you have a random naturalistic ending. It's just left up to chance. And so your destiny, eternal destiny, is really not an issue to you. It's just a random, whimsical a kind of thing. Random fate determines your destiny, if, if you believe that stuff. Ah, oh, but the Bible says something entirely different. It says that just as we had a God-ordained, designed, and orchestrated beginning, so too uh, we have a God-ordained and orchestrated destiny and ending as well. And our destiny is not determined by some random chance event. It's determined by this judgment it will determine our eternal destiny. So is there anything we can do now to get ready for that? See, there's nothing to do with faith. This is just logic, right? If we are facing the inevitability of death and judgment, it's sort of a good idea to get ready for it now, it seems to me. Is there anything we can do to make sure we do okay when we stand before God to be judged? And the answer is yes. There is something we can do. So take a look again uh, at, at this text we're looking at, and let's add to it the first phrase uh, of the next verse, verse 28. So here's what we got. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment, now three magnificent words in big letters, you can see it there, so Christ also. Now hang on, just, I mean, when I read this, I just had to sit down. I mean, can you think about this with me? In fact, let, uh, do you mind if I do that again? Because... 
look, look, look. Because, thank you, Brent. I really appreciate the... <laughs> fo- folks, this is Jesus Christ, um, God's only begotten Son, sinless being, existing in eternity, past, eternity, present. Uh, this is the Savior. This is the Redeemer. This is the um, one through whom the, all things came into being and for whom all things exist. We have been talking about our human condition and destiny, characterized by two things, death and judgment, and it says with reference to those two things, those two inevitabilities, so Christ also. I can understand why death and judgment ought to touch me and you, but him? So Christ also? Yes, so Christ. Can you see why this is the greatest story ever told? This magnificent, sinless God who experienced unbridled fellowship with the Father from eternity past. So he also voluntarily experienced death and judgment. Hang hang in there uh, uh, for a second. Let's look at it a little more. So Christ also having been offered once to bear the sins of many, we die and we come into judgment. That's where we're going. That's our destiny. Christ himself died in order to save us from judgment. Can you see that? Do you get that? That's not complicated. It's just overwhelming. So I know what I deserve, and I know what you deserve, and you know what you deserve. He doesn't deserve it. So Christ also suffered death and judgment. But it was entirely different. We die and are judged because of our sin. He was judged and died for our sin. Can you see the difference? You don't ever want to liken Christianity to any other religious perspective. There ain't nothing like it. This is the greatest story ever told. I deserve to die and be judged. So do you. He chose to in my place and your place. Can you see it? You've heard that before, haven't you? But we can never hear it enough. It is the greatest. It's good news. It's the gospel. So let's look a, l- a little bit more at this verse, Hebrews 9, 28. So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, shall appear a second time not to bear sin. Whoa, why not? Well, because he already did so at his first coming. See? He'll appear a second time, implying he appeared the first time. The first time he came... To be judged and to die for sin, not his, ours. The second time he's coming for a different reason, not to bear sin. Why? He already did that. You want to hear three of the most glorious words in all the Bible? And I didn't utter them. Uh, The Lord Jesus did. He said, it is finished. Paid in full. Debt canceled. He doesn't have to come back the second time and do anything more with respect to our sin problem. He done did it. You see it? which makes our efforts to add to his sufferings on the cross so foolish, unnecessarily foolish. Jesus paid it all. 
You see? So he comes the second time, not to bear sin. Now religions of the world teach something totally different. For instance, Islam, which we're learning increasingly more and more about, aren't we? Islam in our, in our day. Islam, for instance, uh, says that at the end of history, God will judge the works of all men so that um, your good deeds and bad deeds will be put in the balance. And those whose good deeds outweigh their bad deeds will enter into paradise. And for the others, they will be sent to hell. So that's what Islam teaches. But the Bible teaches something different. It teaches that our destiny is not at all a function of what we have done. It teaches that it is very much a function of what Christ has already done for us. And whether we accept it or not. You see it? Every other religion is a do-it-yourself thing. Christianity is a done-for-you thing. Categorically different. So, the first coming of Christ and his sacrifice for our sin was enough. Therefore, he doesn't have to do more at the time of his second coming. It's finished. And that's why it says he shall appear a second time not to bear sin. So, what then is he coming the second time for? Well, let's look at the whole verse now. Hebrews 9, 28. So, Christ also, having been offered once... To bear the sins of many shall appear a second time, not to bear sin to those who eagerly await him. Here it is. For salvation. So then, though all will taste physical death, not all will be condemned at the judgment to follow. In fact, some. No, in fact, many, according to this verse, many will receive salvation when they stand before Almighty God. Now, who are the many mentioned here in verse 28? Because you want to make sure you're counted among them. This is serious. So who are they? Who are these many who can expect at the judgment salvation and not condemnation at the second coming of Christ? Well, the answer is given right there in the text. It says, those who eagerly await him. Those who eagerly await him can expect at the judgment seat, salvation and not condemnation. So here's the deal. You and I have to do something with God's Son. You do. Everyone responds to him. Well, some respond by ignoring him. I know that. Some respond by um, diminishing him. You know, he's a good teacher. He's not God. He's a good teacher, that kind of stuff. Some respond by denying him. Some respond by accepting him as their sin substitute, as their savior. So what you and I do with God's son is the singular thing. There's nothing else. It is the singular thing. How we respond to God's son is the singular thing that determines our eternal destiny. Don't make it complicated. It's this. How we respond to God's Son is the singular thing that determines our eternal destiny. Every person here is headed for a destiny and a destination that is permanent and eternal. Whether it be in hellish condemnation or blissful salvation is a function of how we have responded to the Lord Jesus Christ here before we die. It's not more complicated than that. If your faith 
in Christ is characterized by an eagerness. It's one of the indications that ought to give you assurance of salvation. There are many. It ought to be a love for other Christians, an interest in the Bible, a, a, a concern for what God's doing in the world. And here's one. If you're looking forward to the second coming, well, that's something an unbeliever ain't doing. I can tell you that. If you're eager to see the Lord Jesus Christ return, now as Lion of Judah, not as Lamb, return in all his glory and receive all the honor and respect he deserves. If you're looking eagerly for his return, I have to tell you, that is an indication of your saving faith. And for you, death becomes not something to be avoided and horrified by. No, no, death for you becomes an entrance into salvation and not into condemnation. I love this song because I believe its words. Some glad morning when this life is over. I'll fly away. Where? Some black hole out there? No. <laughs> to a home on God's celestial shore, I'll fly away. Yeah. When I die, I don't know. I know more about radishes than what will happen. No. <laughs> When I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. It's very, very important that you determine now when you have a chance what your eternal destiny will be. And the singular determinant is what are you going to do with God's Son who came to suffer and die for you? If you have accepted uh, the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, that is to say God's judgment for your sin on him, then you will not be judged for your sin. But if you have not accepted God's judgment upon Christ for your sin, then when you die, you will have to accept God's judgment upon yourself. Which will it be? I beseech you, even before you leave tonight, Say, oh God, I get it. You came, you suffered, you died for me. I don't want to bear the judgment of my own sin. The verdict will be guilty. Instead, I thank you for putting the full weight of my sin on your sinless son in my place. I accept him. As my sin substitute, come into my life, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Turn me on from the inside out. Turn me loose to tell the greatest story ever told. And let me join the crowd of people who will sing together. I'll fly away. When I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly. Sing with me. How does it begin? Some glad morning. Would you sing it? Some glad morning when this life is o'er, I'll fly away to a home on God's celestial shore. I'll fly away. Here, you know this part. Sing it. I'll fly away, oh glory. I'll fly away. When I die, 
Hallelujah, by and by, I'll... Amen, amen. Brother John.